Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and we are going to have a little fun tonight. We'll have a little bit of news at the top, and then because it's May and we have to wait a hot minute for actual football, we're going to just indulge in the season of speculation. So let's not delay it all. Let's go ahead and introduce the guys. He's the only Nuggets fan to feel sad for LeBron. Jacob Allen is with us. What's going on, dude? Sean, it's okay to feel old. I promise. We're all feeling it now. He's going to fake an ankle injury just like Aaron Rodgers to get out of work. Sam Blanca is here. What's going on, man? The guy just wants to go take some more ayahuasca and sit in the dark, so I can't blame him for trying to fake an ankle injury. I mean, a couple wide receivers get hit in the nuts, and he's going to feel like right at home at Green, from Green Bay not having any weapons. And I am Sean Vegan, and I never have to fake an injury. I am always in pain. But unlike Aaron Rodgers, I'm going to soldier on, we will soldier on, and we're going to have a really fun show. We're going to have, like I said, some news here at the top, because the NFL's been busy. Few new rules have been approved and implemented for the coming 2023 NFL season. Uh, quickly, just in case you haven't heard at this point, the rules that have now been approved uh, for the coming season are Thursday night games can be flexed out the same way that an afternoon game can be flexed to an evening uh, primetime game on a Sunday or a Monday. You can now, if you are carrying a third quarterback on your roster, it does not, you do not have to have them be active on game day. You can have a third emergency quarterback in the event that your first two quarterbacks get hurt during the game. You do not need to use a game day active roster spot to have an emergency quarterback. They will be available to you no matter what. And then lastly, and this is going to be the prime topic uh, for our, our first section here, all fair catches on punt returns inside the 25-yard line will now be brought out and the drive will start at the 25-yard line the same way that a touchback on a kickoff works. So again, if a punt is call, uh, fair caught inside the 25-yard line, the drive will start at the 25-yard line. NFL says this is in an effort to limit the amount of concussions. Uh, they are, are projecting, I don't know how they get this data, but according to Roger Goodell and that, that whole thing, they're going to be cutting concussions, I think I saw by 30%. Is their target goal by limiting uh, the punt returns that come out? I don't know how their their models project that, but that's that's the number I read. So we'll see. Just before we dive into any specifics, guys, any any initial reactions or feelings on the rule changes here? Anything that uh, really just kind of stood out to you or made you feel some type of way? Uh, Sam, we'll let you bat lead off this go around. How the the new rules being implemented make you feel? The only one I look at that's like I think is is significantly noteworthy is we'll dive. I mean, I imagine we can dive a little more into them. Is just is the Thursday games being flexed because that that just feels like they're like okay, we need to figure out a way to get rid of Thursday night games. Like it's just it, it that's what it feels like they're trying to move in that direction. So that was the only one that I looked at. And I was like that I can see where that one potentially is going. The other ones feel like after either safety concerns or the third quarterback again after the 49ers debacle of, and the playoffs, that one is like, okay, that makes sense. Jay, what about you? How did the uh, new rules make you feel when you heard they've been implemented? Help me real quick because I, maybe I'm misunderstanding the Thursday night thing. I get flexing a game out, but that I'm assuming they will flex a game into that time slot as well? I would assume so. There's – I have not seen anything that specifically states that, but I have to think that somebody's going to get flexed into Thursday night, but I haven't actually seen any dialogue specific to how that would be handled. Mm, okay. And so I think the Chiefs and Broncos have a Thursday night matchup currently, right? Should probably know that since we just did the Chiefs schedule last week. Um, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Let me look real quick. Uh, they obviously have the opener Thursday versus October twelfth. October twelfth, yeah, six weeks. Thursday. And I think I heard the teams have to get like 
28 days notice to flex it or something like that now something along those lines maybe that's incorrect but uh, but that would be the best candidate i feel like of their thursday night games to get flexed out of and so it would not surprise me if that rule ends up affecting the chiefs of maybe even two weeks into the season they're like okay the russell wilson experience is still you know rough and so Let's flex that game out and then put the Chiefs back into another Thursday night game late in the season. I just foresee the Chiefs getting a Thursday at the end of the season game. It's, it's I think, the most impactful of the bunch. And one other side note is uh, Kelsey, the Kelsey podcast talked about this week and surprised me because they both said they love Thursday night games. I was like, that is not what I expected to hear. So very interesting to me. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that – NFL players would actually enjoy Thursday night games because it's like they get a weekend for the first time all year besides their bye week. Okay, so I found an article here from the Milwaukee Journal uh, Sentinel that was written by J.R. Radcliffe. And specifically, to answer your question, Jacob, he does say that a Sunday game moves to a Thursday and a Thursday game would move into a Sunday. So it does seem like if they're going to flex a Thursday game from Thursday to a Sunday, then they're going to have a corresponding move to fill that time slot. And correct me also if I'm wrong, there's still a limit on the number of primetime games you can play in, right? It's either six or seven. I'm blanking on what the number is. Chiefs were up against it last year. We knew last year because – the Chiefs got the – I think it was the Broncos game got flexed out of primetime, and then they got moved into primetime. The Chiefs got moved into primetime in another game. I'm blanking on which one it was, but it's kind of when I think, like, we all found out through Twitter, like, oh, we're, this Broncos game's getting flexed. But yeah. And it is, it is, according to this article, 28 days notice. So they have two weeks to plan. So it's not, it's not horrible. So – I hope you're right, Sam. I hope this means that eventually they're just going to be like, Thursday night's stupid. We can have, we'll have one Sunday night game, one Monday night game, and everybody else is good. Because I think with the recent rush of just trash football on Thursday nights, which prompted kind of the new running joke of Al Michaels just crapping all over performances on Thursday night football and anytime. I think it was the Bronco, one of the Broncos games that was Thursday night last year. I forget who they were playing. Might have been the Rams or something like that. And he, they went to overtime, and he said, because who wouldn't want to watch that? So it's – I hope that's right. The one that I, I think could affect the NFL in a larger way is, is the one about catching the ball inside the 25-yard line. That one has me feeling some type of way just because it it kind of fundamentally changes how the game is played. And I don't know how I feel about it. So I'm not going to wait at all because I I just want to hear your guys' opinions because you guys do a good job of balancing my extreme emotions out. So I'm not excited about the 25-yard line. And maybe maybe this is me being a Chiefs fan, having seen Dante Hall, having seen Tyreek Hill, you know, do do things with a football on a punt return that just physically other people can't do. And knowing that that's an exciting play that can be a complete game changer. The same way that, like, you know, Sky Moore, for all his struggles early on, what he was able to do in the playoffs. That was a massive swing in momentum and, and where the Chiefs stood in that game against the Bengals. That was huge. I don't, I don't love the idea of taking that option away. And I wonder how much it's going to change, not just how the game is played, but coaching staffs. Not right away. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But if you continue to take strategy out of the out of special teams, really all you need is like a, a kicking game coordinator for field goals. That's really it after a while. Because you're taking out wedges off kickoffs. Anytime it's a, it goes out of the end zone, it's... It comes out to the 25, and now you're doing the same thing with punt returns. I feel like you're taking a lot of the excitement out of football in the name of safety, which I appreciate, but I don't know. It it makes me feel some type of way. So what am I missing? Can you guys make me feel better about this? I'll make you feel better. Uh, Dante Hall and Tyreek Hill do not play for the Chiefs anymore, and 
the quicker you can get Patrick Mahomes the ball, the better. I am completely okay with the Chiefs losing some opportunities to fumble the ball back to the other team. If I was old school Chiefs fans when they had Dante Hall, I would have been pissed. Dante Hall's not back there, and you have Patrick Mahomes. So I'm not really all that sad about it. They're still going to take some return opportunities. I mean, I know we had a lot of excitement, too, with Kadarius Toney in the Super Bowl. So, but I am mostly like, I think this is advantage Chiefs. That's a good point. Sam, what do you what do you think the impact is? Maybe not even just about the inside of the twenty five yard line, but if you have any other thoughts on the rules, what the impact will be going forward. So I maybe should have been more prepared for this question and, and tried to find some form of analytics around it. But I'd be I'd be interested to see what the what the average return yardage would be when a kick is not kicked into the end zone. Like because the thing is, it's only go- if if a team has an explosive returner, it will they will still bring it out because that's that's what his game is. Most teams already let's be honest, ninety nine percent of the kicks anymore go through the back of the end zone. Like so, I don't think it'll change astronomically. Yes, you will likely see less touchdowns go to the house. That's just the reality of the situation. But I think there are still – you will still see good returners taking the ball out if it's like they they kick it to the five. I, I think they're still bringing it out because that gives – I mean, that's a shorter period of time for the defense to get into position, and there's a higher likelihood that they could probably make it past the 25-yard line. But, again, I, I don't have, the like, any stats to, to back that up as far as, you know, where – where that usually ends up, like if the ball is kicking five, and I'm sure that stat is out there somewhere if we dug deep enough. I found averages, and averages was much quicker right. than I thought. Um, thank God for Pro Football Reference. Um, so in 2022, the average yards per punt return and kick return was essentially nine yards for a punt return, 8.9 to be specific, and 23 yards, 22.8 for a kick return, and it's pretty much been right around. 8 to 9, and 22 to 23 for each for the last decade plus. Yeah, so, I mean, and again, I I don't think you'll – I don't think this rule is going to change as much as people initially would react to it just because we already see so many touchbacks occur within the NFL because that's what – I mean, all it's going to do is make the kicker say, okay, I'm just kicking it straight through the uprights every time now. So I, I don't think it's that big a deal. It'll it'll you'll still get some some kickoff returns, I think, but just not maybe what we get three a year, something like that. <laughs> like you don't see them very often any, anymore. Anyway, um, you may lose one a year because of this rule. Yeah, that makes sense. That does make me feel better. I'm glad I have both of you to bring me back to the middle a little bit. I do want to ask, because it seems like a lot of the rule changes of late have been in the effort to reduce concussions, which is understandable. It's been kind of the big, biggest hurdle the NFL has to overcome in regards to you know, the injuries and things that happen on the field. It's been the thing that once we found out about it, it was kind of terrifying how prevalent concussions were. On the other hand, if, you, if you're Travis Kelsey who I think it's hilarious that he's the one that brings it up. You love watching guys get speared. Even he, who got, you know, upended and, and pounded into the dirt by uh, Derwin James, he thought it was a great play. He loves that kind of football. The Kelsey brothers talk about it a lot. So what do you guys think is the end game? How far does this go for the NFL? Do we get to a point where, because you, you already can't tackle a quarterback. Chris Jones showed that against the the Raiders last year at Arrowhead with a perfectly legitimate strip sack that they called roughing the passer. You you are now taking away returns for punt return, not taking them away, but making it much easier to not have to. There's just a lot of other aspects of this game that have made it less physical in an attempt to limit concussions. So where where do you think this ends up going if you had to look into a crystal ball and see what what the eventual goal for the NFL will be, where this game ends up? 
how do you think it all plays out? Sam, we'll, we'll let you start this one. Yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll, it can only go so far because eventually people will stop watching. Like, it, if it, if we get to a point where it's basically two-hand touch, you're not going to draw, you, people will still watch, obviously, but not, not in the same numbers that they see now. So I, I think the the solution to this is going to be more the technology aspect of football, the technology side of the equipment that these guys wear, because I mean, the human body, let, like, let's be realistic. It is not made to play football. Our brain sits in fluid in our head and it likes to slosh around. So making heavy contact with another large individual running full speed at each other our bodies are not don't like that very much. That's not a uh, specifically well designed aspect of of the human anatomy, um, but it's a multi what a billion dollar industry. Whatever the NFL is, I don't I don't even know what the number is. And guess what? Those brains that slosh around in our head they're pretty they're pretty cool at making stuff up and inventing things. So I imagine that the technology aspect will start to come into play a lot faster than the the rules. Like, you'll get a crossing point at some point, and at that point, we, we'll stop seeing the, the redu- reduction of, like, wanting to stop the hitting and stuff like that and more the technology side. Now, that may, might mean that we see them wearing those weird diapers on top of their helmets forever, but it, it, if, if it means that a guy can live the rest of his life without health issues and we still get to watch football as we know it i guess you can accept that yeah that's a fair point i think the the technology being the thing that will eventually catch up is a a really solid point that i hadn't i hadn't really thought of in the context of this question jacob what about you what do you think the end goal is or the end game how does this if you had to look into the future how does this finish up for the NFL? Where do you think they eventually end up in terms of rules and, and how the game is played and it comes to keep players healthy? Well, I mean, I think eventually they're just going to play with a balloon and all the players will, will wear bras and compliment each other and whoever can be the nicest is the winner. That's where this is headed. Please please tell me one of you watches South Park. So that oh, you know. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've seen that episode several times. Okay, perfect. I was like, please don't make me just look like a complete weirdo more than I already do. I think, like you said, it's a balance. You're Sam's right. You know, it's like they're not going to take it too far, and that's the beauty of the sport is they know when to let up and when to go full force. When you look at that Sarcastical episode came out, what, like eight, nine years ago now? But they've adjusted since then, too, to say we can still get big hits, just we want them to be safer big hits. So I think they've already kind of adjusted and still made it compelling. I didn't have this on the rundown, but you both have, have mentioned balance and finding that same you reference it as like a, a meeting at the crossroads or a crossing paths between technology and the rules to eventually make it a safer game. At what point, if ever, do you think it, it gets acknowledged that essentially what we're watching is a combat sport? Because MMA and boxing have injuries, right? Like it happens. They get hurt. They get concussed. They get knocked out. But the number of concussions in MMA are significant. Like it's not the NFL. Because and George Kittle talked about I saw this clip on a podcast. I need to go back and find what podcast it was. But he said, they asked him about, like, what it is to recover for in, during an NFL week. And he said, I'm I'm in a car crash every week. He's like, that's that's what's happened. That's what I'm recovering from, where I was, my body was thrashed around. Like, every week, that's what we're dealing with. And so, essentially, I've, I've said for a while now, I, I think if we had thought of the NFL as a combat sport, you know, decade, decade and a half ago, it would be a very different mindset about who plays, when they play, when are we getting kids enrolled in this, et cetera. But we never thought of it that way. And so the shifting of, you know, rub some dirt on it, you're okay to know this is like life altering injury has, has been slow. But I do think there's an element of assumed danger in the NFL because it is that kind of a sport. 
So how, where's the balance of this is what the sport is versus we have to try and, and keep these guys healthy. I, it wasn't on the rundown, but I, I, it came to me just now and I'm, I'm curious what your guys thoughts are. So I, I think the NFL college football, high school coaches, well, high school coaches, maybe not that the NFL and, and, and the college fo- college football will never acknowledge that football is a combat sport because that in itself changes how marketers look at what they like, what they're marketing. There is not a person that to an extent played high school, but especially if you played college football, you can ask that would not tell you it's not a combat combat sport. Like George Kittle's right. Like I, I didn't play against NFL guys like these, like I played against low level college people. And it it is like you, and I was an offensive lineman. So I, we don't get running starts very often. Like it's it's a yard that you're running into each other, but your body feels like you were in a car crash and, and it, it just, that's how it is. And, and you deal with the issues that you, that, that these guys, the guys that develop it and, I can't even think, imagine playing another five to 10 years on top of what I did in college, like the injuries and the long lasting sustainable problems that they deal with. Cause like I deal with stuff. And so it, it is, it is a hundred percent a combat sport. And again, I, I don't want to make this too much of a soapbox thing, but I do hope NFL players come out and, and I hope there is a contingent that, that talks in the public eye of what this does to people's bodies and hopefully helps parents parents specifically understand, you know, when you have a kid that's 10 to 13 years old, like still developing right in that middle of the, where your growth plates are, are really open and, and very vulnerable, maybe having them run full speed into each other consistently just so you can drink beer on the sideline and cheer them on maybe not the best thing in the world. Like I, I get it. Football is a is specifically you talk about guys in Texas and, and, and all that. It, it is a culture, but it is, it is something that does need to be looked at seriously at, at a cultural level in, in the United States, just because it, it is very damaging for a lot of, a lot of people that, you know, will never play even in college. Like people that get hurt in high school and deal with that problem the rest of their lives to play high school football when maybe they probably shouldn't have been playing high school football in the first place. So yeah, it's, it is a, it is a combat sport. There is no doubt about it, but it will never be acknowledged as that by the NFL or by college football, because I think it would affect revenue streams. Jacob, what about you? Where do you think the balance is in, in finding a rule set that protects players and, and increases their quality of life going forward versus accepting that this, this is a violent sport and there, there are going to be problems going forward. I, I don't have much on this one. My only question is, Sam, you've got to find different hobbies than drinking on the sidelines at high school football games on Friday nights. Let's indulge in some speculation guys. Uh, this is the, the, dead zone of NFL news. OTAs are are underway and everyone's in the best shape of their lives. Everyone looks phenomenal at rookie camp. Everybody's just, you know, Randy Moss or, or uh, I don't know, Willie Rove, Jamal Charles. Everyone's that level of athlete and that level of player right now. So let's ignore the rest of whatever's going on in in the world because there's not a ton of news and let's dive into some speculation. The first of which is completely no, no connection to the chiefs whatsoever. I just happened to see this story and kind of got excited about the prospect. And that is a story in regards to Jets tackle Mackay Becton, who's kind of been, a, a polarizing figure in New York since he got there. Massive tackle, you know, that 6'8", 6'7", 360-pound tackle, almost 370 at some points, has been hurt, hasn't really seen the field much, 
dropped a ton of weight this offseason, has really been in shape if you follow him at all. And then this article comes out on Newsday where he is highly critical of Jets head coach Robert Sala and the staff and training staff of the Jets because he said that he was hurt and he went to them and told them that he wasn't right, that his knee wasn't right. And they told him basically to suck it up and get out there and practice and then play. The biggest thing that came out of this uh, outside of just they wanted him to play through being hurt is that he talks about specifically in the article that he was forced to play a position he wasn't familiar with with right tackle, which he believes aggravated the injury because it was his right knee that was hurting. So basically when he comes out of that stance, he's playing hard on his right leg and he attributes that to what really has hurt him and kind of set him back and where he had to get reconstructive surgery. You know, Robert Sala came out and said all the right things. He's very, you know, he said, I'm not going to talk about the negative. I'm going to say, just dwell on the positive, leave the past in the past. Makai has been nothing but great. He's come in incredible shape. He's been very judicious in all team meetings. He just has to understand we have a lot of good tackles and there are only two spots. Makai Becton is on the last year of his rookie deal. His fifth option was, fifth year option was not picked up. So 2023 is the last year of his deal. And so my question to you guys is, is with all the kind of swirling rumors that happened and then now where seemingly settled with the Chiefs tackle position, would you still take a flyer on a guy like Makai Becton? Knowing that he's been kind of polarizing, hasn't been afraid to speak his mind, but coming out was considered just an absolute stud of a prospect, super athletic, massive Bill, incredibly long arms, really just everything you dream about athletically and size-wise in a tackle, and it just hasn't hit. Sounds like a lot, like something Brett Veach would want to do. What about you guys? Would you take a flyer on Mekhi Becton? Uh, Jacob, we'll let you take lead for this one. Absolutely, I would. I'm just trying to look at what uh, the Chiefs traded for Reggie Ragland. Not that it's the same position, but just kind of get an idea of what was going on. And so I know we're headed to, if you say yes, what would you give up for him? But I, I do think fourth is kind of like just where I'm starting to feel uncomfortable about it, which tells me that's how much it would cost in the NFL. And so I'd be okay doing it, but I wouldn't love that they had to give the fourth. Sam, what about you? Would you take a flyer on Mekhi Becton knowing kind of that he's been hurt? and has has been very vocal about his frustrations with the team and knowing that the upside is tremendous is that something you'd be willing to take a shot at the thing with with this question is all it reminds me of is a deal we made a couple years ago for another tackle that was upset because he was playing right tackle wanted to play left tackle is a massive human being is highly touted and that didn't work out real well for us. Um, so it, it's a weird question because I, I can't speak on Makai Becton. Like, I know the name, but I I know he's been injured, not really played to what his potential was coming out of college. But, like, again, I, I don't know how good he actually is. I'd have a lot of hesitancy with it because of what we just dealt with for Orlando Brown. Like, I feel like if you wanted a massive human being at tackle – why would you not go get Dwan Jones in the draft? Because he was there. And, I mean, I don't know if he's anything near Bakai Becton. But, yeah, I, I just I, – honestly, if, if you can get him for a fourth, I'd be actually okay with that because, again, we had to pay a first for Orlando Brown. So, like, I'd be like, yeah, I can – I can, yeah, sure. Why not? Especially since we're going to get going to get compensation for uh, – for Orlando Brown coming this year um, in, in uh, com- compensatory draft picks. But, yeah, it, it, it just reminds me too much of, of Orlando Brown that I'm like, do we want to go through that again? Because, again, it's a very similar situation with the contract. Here, I hear you, and I think you make some valid points. Here's why I would be okay taking a flyer. On Mikai Becton. One, the athleticism is not even close. Mikai Becton is a definitively better athlete by an absolute mile. 
he ran a, at 370 pounds, 6'7", he ran a 5.140. That's ridiculous. He's, he's a, just a different kind of athlete than Orlando Brown Jr. was. The, the, the other part of it is just that I think the compensation would be significantly less. And there's no guarantee that he has to play for you. Whereas like Orlando Brown Jr., you're, you're training for him to start. You're, you're looking to go get him to start for your team. Makai Becton, I think you're bringing in to compete. You're like, hey, look, we've, we've got tackle basically shored up at this point. We like our options here. But if you can come in and, and earn your spot, we'd be happy to have you. So those would be the two reasons why I'm okay with it, is that the level of athleticism, the type of athlete you're getting, is so different from Dwan Jones and Orlando Brown Jr. that the, I think the upside is just significantly higher. And you'd be playing him at his natural position at left tackle versus where I think Dwan Jones and Orlando Brown Jr. are both natural right tackles. So for me, I think that's that's where I would differ. And if you want to you know, use him as a rental and he balls out and someone signs into a big contract and you don't want to commit that um, to a guy who has before this offseason, struggled with his weight, then you let him walk and you get a comp pick, kind of like you were saying for Orlando Brown Jr. So I think those would be the reasons I would be down for taking a flyer, but I'm not I'm, I'm not looking to you know do an Orlando Brown Jr. deal, obviously, where I'm throwing a first-round pick at him. I do want to know if they did make a move for him. Like I said, he's on the last year of his deal. And we saw that the Chiefs were not willing to deal with Orlando Brown Jr. on a long-term deal after after this past season. You know, obviously they were willing to give him a contract before the, the franchise tag uh, came into play. Uh, last offseason, he didn't want to do it. And I think after they saw how he performed this past season, they were like, okay, he just is what he is, and that's not something we want to commit to long-term. What does Makai Becton have to do? Let's say they make the deal. They get Becton on the team. What would he have to do, knowing that you're you're basically getting him on a con? He's on a contract year, and then if he balls out, he's gonna have he's gonna command a large paycheck due to the pedigree of being a first round pick with that kind of athletic uh, profile and playing a premier position like left tackle. That he will command a large salary. What would he have to do for you to want to extend him? Um, Sam, we'll start with you this time. Start all 17 games at left tackle. I mean, like, it's hard because I don't have any clue what his market is and what I I haven't even looked at what the free agency market looks like for left tackle next year. But, like, if he comes in and just obviously is the best option we have at left tackle and it's just, like, the combination of him and uh, Juwan Taylor is just, like, hey, we have our two offensive tackles for the next five years. That's where I'm like, okay, let's let's splash a little cash for this guy because it's obviously been a position we've been searching for and have not been able to find. And if you can sure it up with a guy that shows potential, even, even if he's – I think if he's Orlando Brown at the – like, I as you said, again, because I don't know much about him, very different players, but, like, as far as – Play effectiveness, if he's Orlando Brown from the end of last season as far as his effectiveness within the offensive line, I'd look at that and be like, okay, I, I can I can get behind giving him maybe a three- or four-year deal because all you can expect is him to get better within the offense as he becomes more comfortable. Jacob, what about you? What would it take, if if the Chiefs did go out and make a deal for Mekhi Beckton, what would it take for you to feel comfortable giving him a long-term contract? I'm probably not going to be as extreme as Sam, but I would say he needs to be the starter 75% of the season to get a a true long-term contract. By that, I mean three years or more. But to answer Sam's other question about who's in free agency at tackle next year, pretty much what tackle is every offseason. It's like you're taking a flyer on an old guy. You're taking a flyer on a young guy. The Trent Williams of the world just don't make it to free agency, basically, is what I'm trying to say. That's the one every three or four years that happens. Not even probably three or four years, once every five years that you have to massively pay for. 
Yeah, he'd have to – if he didn't I, – I agree with you, Sam. He has to start. Um, if he doesn't start and he earns the opportunity, either through practice or, you know, an injury he steps in, he has to – he has to, for me, outperform Orlando Brown Jr., I don't want to have to rely on Patrick Mahomes' evasiveness for the Chiefs to have a low uh, pressure rate. I would like their tackles to just be good. So, and with Patrick Mahomes, it seems like once every year, he gets hit with something and he's hurt. And it takes a while for him to get back. And then he does, you know, magical things and it's great. But I would just like for one season where he's not hit with something that's fairly severe, that he's having to miss time. So for me, I'm absolutely willing to take the flyer on Mekhi Becton. But I think we've seen that even if you play an average tackle, you're going to get a contract. See Andrew Wiley. See Orlando Brown Jr. They were not great. I would argue they were not even good. But they were fine. Most of the year, they were fine. They had moments where they were really bad. They had times when they were really good. Most of the time, they were fine. And so, for me, I want a guy who shows he's definitively better than either one of those guys. He needs to be definitively better than Orlando Brown Jr. for me to want to extend him. Otherwise, I'm fine rolling dice again and trying to find a stopgap until you can find that long-term answer. Last thing to put a bow on this topic, and then we'll move on to our next speculative topic. Don't think I said that right at all, but I'm tired. What's the max compensation you give up for Mekhi Becton? What is, what is the deal you'd make? Uh, Jacob, you mentioned earlier, Chiefs gave up a fourth for Reggie Raglan. They've, you know, I can't even think of other, you know, first round draft picks that they've tried to bring in. Most of them are like signings and whatnot, but that's kind of a barometer for a guy who was a, a high pick, not a first round pick, but a high pick in Reggie Raglan. What would you want to give up for him? What's the most you're comfortable giving up for him? Jacob, we'll start with you. I still say strong around fourth round pick. Cam Irving, who was not necessarily the exact same situation, but very similar situation of a guy that was drafted very highly, didn't really pan out for numerous reasons. Cam Irving was more a performance issue than a health slash reliability issue, but he was a fifth round pick, so... I think it's in that ballpark. I don't think it's Orlando Brown, which was essentially like second round value. It's somewhere between a fourth and a fifth is where it's at. And that's where I'd be at. Sam, what about you? Is there a level of compensation that you're willing to go up to, like a max that you're willing to give up for him? I, I think I'm I'm kind of right there with Jacob. A fourth is like, okay, it's a like – you're basically bank a one one year deal with this guy essentially for a fourth round pick. I'd be hesitant, but like also, if they did it, I'd be like, okay, that's fine. I don't know what the pick is we're going to get, like the compensation pick we're going to get for Orlando Brown. A lot of times, that's like a third round pick potentially within that range because of the quality of player he is. Again, I don't know. But, like, if you got a third-round compensatory pick for Orlando Brown Jr. and you spent that on Mekhi Becton, which, again, we don't have it yet, so it's obviously this is all – like, if we spent our third-round pick and then still got a third-round pick, because, again, we're going to be into the, <laughs> the draft regardless of the third round, like, I'd be like, we gave up a tackle, we got a tackle. Don't necessarily love it, but it, it, it serves a purpose. So like, I would love, like, I think I'd be comfortable at a fourth, probably more comfortable than Jacob. But like, if that is what we ended up getting for Orlando Brown and that's what we gave up for him, I'd be like, I get it. Not necessarily happy about it, but it works. Man, I, I thought I'd be the most bullish on this and I'm not. <laughs> I am. I love the idea of bringing Mackay Becton, but I think he might be a cut candidate with them with everything that's gone on with him talking to the media, with him, you know, being hurt, finally getting into shape in, in a contract year. They've already got potential answers at tackle other than him. I'm, I'm fine going up to a fourth, I guess. I, but my max before coming into here was like, I want a fifth. I'll give you a fifth for a guy you're not going to play that you might cut. And I'd start by offering a sixth. It's like, are you willing to give him to me? Cause he didn't want to play for you, clearly. 
and doesn't have a good relationship with you. And you are clearly just kind of giving coach speak throughout the whole thing. So for me, I'd, I'd go in starting with a sixth and I, my max would probably be a fifth. I mean, the way you guys talk about it, maybe a fourth, just because we pick at the end of every round. So if it's a fourth with the chiefs, it's probably close to a fifth. So I'd probably be fine with that, but I don't, I don't know that you'll have to with Mekhi Becton. Like, maybe because he's a first-round pick and teams have a hard time letting go of that. But I wouldn't be surprised if you get to the end of training camp and there's talk that he's a cut candidate just just because of the relationship with the team. What about this? Clyde for Mekhi. Done. Right now. I would do that in a heartbeat. See, that that's a deal that I'm like, if they did that, like, I'd be all over it. because. We're not keeping Clyde. Like, let's be honest. He is not going to be a chief after this year. If he is, it's some miracle that he had some ridiculous year. And you get a left tackle. So that's the kind of deal. If that happens, I'd be all over it. I'm on board with that. Our last topic for the night and our last speculation here comes from Gary Davenport at Bleacher Report, who did one of those articles that comes around at least a couple times in offseason about here are some veterans that could be on the move, and here are our potential fit teams for those particular players. And true to form, here it is. Gary did a great job. It's always a lot. I always think these articles are fun just because they spark dreams in fans, and it's it's a wild time in the offseason where everything is possible. So I thought this was a fun one because two of the receivers that he named not just DeAndre Hopkins, who's obviously been linked to the Chiefs on and off all offseason, but these two are new names. I think we actually mentioned one of them at one point. But just to bring it back, he talks about these two veteran receivers from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers could be on the move with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin as potential trade targets for teams looking to fill some spots in their receiver room and he names the Kansas City Chiefs as one of the top potential landing spots uh, as far as fit goes for both of them. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, Contract-wise, could be completely reliant on Chris Jones getting an extension done and creating some cap space for yourself, because I think the Chiefs are either right over the cap or right up against it. But I was curious what your guys' thoughts would be. Um, in a dream world where it's fiscally uh, possible Chiefs are able to make it work with the cap situation out of the two of them Chris Godwin or Mike Evans who would you prefer very different types of receivers both wildly effective and have shown to be you know high-end receivers in the NFL which guy would you prefer in in this particular offense for Kansas City Sam we'll, we'll let you bat lead off this time so essentially what uh this writer is saying is that the Chiefs are, should just bring in the entire team that beat us the last time in the Super Bowl. They just want us to bring the the, the whole Bucks team back. Like Tom Brady's going to come back as our backup and have all. Just sounds good. Um, it's interesting. I went to go look because I was like, I, I honestly didn't know their ages. If you would ask me, you know, who is younger, my initial response was like, oh, Chris Godwin's like way younger than Mike Evans. Nope. Two years. Like, I I honestly thought he was 25, maybe. But no, like, Mike Evans just been that good for that long that we think he's ancient, and he's only 29, which I guess for a wide receiver is up there. Um, it's very interesting because, again, I think maybe this is the first year, I think, at, during the draft I wasn't necessarily clamoring for, like, the traditional X-type receiver. And, like, I've maybe been the most on our podcast of, like, we need an X. I want an X. I want somebody that can go up and get a ball, and and that is Mike Evans. Like, the man is one of the best receivers in this generation, I think. And and until Tom Brady came was just a cog in a very, very terrible machine, uh, but maybe the only cog that actually worked. But I don't know which one fits better, and that's the crazy thing. Chris Godwin, I can just see fitting in an Andy Reid offense so well. Like, he is very Tyreek-esque. 
definitely not Tyreek. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's Tyreek Hill, but they are just very similar players as far as what they can do on the football field. So I, I'd, I'd almost, I think I'd lead Godwin. I just think he brings more to the, it's another of the exact same kind of receiver that we have on the team. Like we're not going to have a receiver that's over six foot tall, except for MVS, but that's apparently what Andy Reid really likes. And I just, I just feel like Godwin would be a very, very good fit for our offense. Here's the deal about Godwin because he looks doesn't look that big next to Mike Evans, but he's actually like six one two ten. Oh, so surprising! He, I would have guessed he was like five ten. Well, it's yeah, because well, one he stands next to Mike Evans, and two he plays primarily out of the slot most of the time, just because Mike Evans plays outside. But yeah, he's actually bigger than you would than you would think when you see him on the field with that that group. Uh, Jacob, so again, what about just, you? Just expressing my infinite knowledge of all NFL players ever, <laughs> that I know exactly how big they are. <laughs> I mean, I had to look it up. I have it right here in front of me just because I had his contract. Yeah, he's he's definitely bigger than you'd think. Uh, Jacob, what about you? In, in a dream world where you can have either one and you get to pick one, who would you prefer, Mike Evans or Chris Godwin? Give me Mike Evans all day. I'm scared what Chris Godwin would cost both trade-wise and new contract-wise. Both guys are kind of in the same boat contract-wise. You probably get them for this year and then have to pay them before the next because uh, they're both kind of sitting in, sitting in a similar-ish spot. Uh, but I've always loved Mike Evans. Please give Patrick Mahomes Mike Evans. That would be nuts. So contract-wise, I actually have over the cap pulled up for both of them. Mike Evans is in the final year of his deal. He has technically years on the end, but they're all void years, just you know, with the intent of spreading out that, that cap hit. So this is the last year of his deal. His cap number is going to be twenty-three point, essentially $23.7 million uh, for the season, and then he's off your books. Chris Godwin, this year's cap number is $8.6 million, and then 2024 – is essentially the last year of his deal before his void years hit, and he goes up to $27.5 million. So you would – Godwin's either a rental for the year and you cut him, or you're looking at a reworked deal as part of the trade. Same thing with Mike Evans. It's like either saying, hey, look, we want you for a year, and then we're going to move you, or you're looking at reworking a deal. Either way. For me, Sam, I get – I do agree they are – I think they're very different types of players in terms of – how they contribute on the field, but I agree in the, with the fact that I think Chris Godwin, the way he's similar to Tyreek Hill is he's the far more versatile receiver. Godwin can play inside, outside. He's got the size to play outside, but his skill set is is very complimentary of, as a slot receiver where he's able to just rack up targets and catches, work the middle of the field, and then make plays after the catch. He's He's an incredibly versatile guy who is who just is kind of good everywhere. Mike Evans is elite at running downfield. He's he's one of the best we've ever seen at it. There are so few guys who go up and win the way he and Mike Williams go up and win. And unlike Mike Williams, Mike Evans has stayed on the field. So there just aren't many guys like him that do that. I I lean Here's, here's my determining factor, because my knee-jerk reaction is I'd prefer Chris Godwin in, in a vacuum. The younger receiver, more versatile, that's, that's the guy I would prefer. Here's the way I would lean Mike Evans, is Rashi Rice is going to have to win in a similar fashion to how Mike Evans wins. Because Rashi Rice, the way they talk about him is, you know, he's an elite leaper, even though he didn't, he didn't have a very... Only recently started reading this, and I need to go find the actual stat. But apparently, his his win percentage on jump balls is not very good for a guy with his athletic profile. But he's he's got that body that he's going to have to ward off the corner. He's going to have to out jump the corner. He's going to beat you with physicality and and being open when he's not open, rather than create separation the way Chris Godwin does. So. If I was going to try to find a guy who could help someone like Rasheed Rice prepare for the NFL, I'd want him to learn with Mike Evans. 
because I think their game is going to have to his game is going to have to be similar to Mike Evans, and that's a tall order because, like I said, there aren't many guys in the NFL right now with how the NFL has gone towards. You know, we just saw in this draft like Quentin Johnson's an outlier as as the typical X, and he's like what six two, six three, and doesn't really play like a big receiver. He plays like a slot. Everybody else was small. They're slot receivers. Jackson Smith and Jigba's physical size is similar to that of Chris Godwin, and we thought Chris Godwin was big for a slot. Zay Flowers is small. Josh Downs is small. Um, Jordan Addison is maybe not short, but incredibly lean. So, you know, you've seen other guys like Devonta Smith in the league who are skinny as all hell and, and play in the NFL. It's gone to a different style of receiver with guys like Tyree Kill, Jalen Wall, et cetera, those kinds of guys. So if you're going to draft a guy like Rasheed Rice, having a guy like Mike Evans to show him how to win like that, I think would be big. So all things being equal, I would want Chris Godwin, but I might lean Mike Evans just so that Rasheed Rice has someone he can learn from. So similar question to our last one with Makai Becton, and I think this one is maybe a tougher discussion because you're talking about one, receivers, which are more expensive than guys who don't play, even if they are left tackle. And two, you're talking about two of the better ones in the NFL. What's the max you're willing to give up for a Mike Evans or a Chris Godwin? Again, knowing it's all speculation, knowing this is probably never going to happen, but if you're Brett Veach and, and you're talking to the Bucks and you're getting close and it comes to you know trying to agree on compensation, what are you willing to give up for either one of those guys? Sam, we'll start with you. And maybe this is telling of how much I really care to get either of them. Like they'd both be great. Like, don't get me wrong. Like if you, if we could get both of them somehow, I'd be like, awesome. Like watch out NFL. But at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about going out and chasing those guys, but I'd, I'd be there right at a fourth again, like not too far off of that. And, and that may sound crazy for guys that are, Number one, Mike Evans, who, who again, like, I don't know if he'll make it, but I think has the pedigree to be a Hall of Famer. Like, I think because of what he's been able to do, like, I know he, he has some ridiculous stat as far as thousand yard receiving seasons. And it's just bonkers that he's done it because you have to look at his quarterback play. Like, it's just been, and coaching, it's been awful. Like, the guy's been stuck in a hole for the majority of his career until Tom Brady got there. And then Chris Godwin, who who doesn't have the pedigree of Mike Evans, I don't think, but we've seen what he can be when he's healthy on the field. Like, these are two elite talents in the NFL, but they're also both on the end of their contract and getting up there in age. And, like, it's it seems almost mercenary-esque where you're like, okay, we may only get these guys for a year. So I ain't giving up more than a fourth for either of them. Jacob, what about you? What's the max that you're willing to give up for, for either Chris Godwin or Mike Evans, if it were to come to that? The weird stat Sam's looking for is Mike Evans has played in nine NFL seasons. Mike Evans has nine 1,000-yard seasons. That's freaking that's ridiculous. The, that's the stat. Like, <laughs> Bananas. <laughs> Bonkers. I was with you, Sam. I was like, okay, I know he's got some like consecutive thousand yard seasons, or it's like seven out of nine or something like that. But you know, just all nine. Yeah, I think this is be this would be a ballpark where, you know, I probably wouldn't want to give up more than like a second and a fifth for either guy. And I think Chris Godwin's gonna cost you a first. Uh you can just go look at the Tyreek Hill deal. Not that it's the exact same situation, but I think Chris Godwin's a little closer to is a little closer to the Tyreek Hill deal, and I think that Mike Evans is a little closer to the DeAndre Hopkins trade to the Cardinals, which I'm thinking was two seconds. I'm sitting here uh, debating it. I don't even know if it was I don't think I think you're right. I think you're right. I think they got him for like a third and a fifth from yeah. That was ridiculous. Yeah. So I mean, I think that's where you kind of go compensation wise. I think Hopkins was a little later on in his career. I don't know age and years wise, but you know, I think 
he was kind of headed downhill from what you could see. But okay, it was a second, and then they exchanged fourth round picks, so it was one okay. second. Yeah. So my guess is that'd be around what it'd be for Mike Evans, and then like Tyreek Hill Light would be the trade for Chris Godwin. I think that's where I would be. Like Chris Godwin, like I said, I think it's going to cost you a first, and I wouldn't want to do it. I'm with Sam. Like I'm not thrilled to try to get a receiver after last season of Mahomes saying I don't really need a receiver. You can give me a Juju Smith Schuster type guy and a couple other dudes, and I can make it work. But that's where I'm at. Right? Yeah, God. I don't want to give up a first for either of them. Godwin, I'd go a second and a fourth. And, and again, it's not that they're not worth it. And this is kind of like this is maybe a, a fantasy football approach to it rather than a, a real NFL approach to it. So it's fan perspective, but it's not that Godwin's not worth a first, right? Like, he's clearly worth a first-round pick. There are so many receivers that go in the first round are not Chris Godwin. So it's not that he's not worth a first. It's just, is that where you want to spend that first, knowing how your team is currently built? And I would I would rather try and, you know, acu- do a, a, an accumulation to try and get Godwin to, to Kansas City. And I would only do that if I knew I could get Godwin on an extension. That made sense. Because otherwise I don't want to give up a day two pick for him. I would be looking at, hey, I'll give you maybe a, that comp third that you mentioned, Sam. Like if they end up with a, a, compens- a compensatory pick, you know, that kind of a thing. In this case, you don't have it. So I'd be, I'd be fine giving up a third, I guess. That'd probably be the absolute max. But I don't think they'd do it at that point. Mike Evans, I'd, I'd be willing to go up to a third. And, and hope that maybe you can get him on a team-friendly deal, but I would be fine with that, just knowing that he's probably going to sign a contract somewhere else and maybe you can get a compensatory pick that comes back to you to fill that spot. But I'd probably hope for like a fourth or a fifth, just having seen you know what Brandon Cooks went for and, and knowing that what we were hearing about DeAndre Hopkins potentially going for before the rest of the NFL said, oh, they're going to have to cut him. So I would try to get Evans for like a fifth, but I, I'd be willing to go to a fourth. Yeah, and I think that that comes to when we look at it. For me, if you if, if the Chiefs really want him, and they're and they're going to look at these two guys for long term, like they want to sign them both to an extension, why would you waste a pick? Wait till the end of next year because they can't sign them both, and they can't give them both the franchise tag. Like, I I just, I don't know. I After this last year, I think Jacob Jacob kind of said it right, correctly. I'm, I'm done chasing elite wide receivers. I would love to have one. But we have Patrick Mahomes. And, like, the man can make wide receivers great when at other teams they'd be average. So, yeah, it'd be fantastic to have Mike Evans, who's been – great since the day he entered the NFL and then put him with Patrick Mahomes and be like, oh God, this is NFL. You are not ready to be what to see what's about to happen. But I just don't see the point in wasting draft capital anymore when we see every year these these just elite I mean it just feels like every year the wide receivers, these skill positions that are coming out of college, it's like a guy that got taken in the third this year, five years ago, we would have looked at and been like He's a first round pick. Like it, 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 they're just getting ridiculous. So I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I've, I've, I've gone past the point of praying for elite wide receiver. I think, and and maybe it's it's the not want to see a Tyree kill a situation again where I'm like, oh, I don't want to see him go. <laughs> so sad. But I, I guess I'm I'm happy with having mid range wide receivers and the best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, I think that's – this is why you hear a lot of – specifically Saran Petro bangs a drum for this, but why you hear people who are, are cap conscious talk about having that money under under the cap or having that draft capital available and why, like, trading back and saving cap is so important because then maybe you get a situation like Randy Moss who's just drowning in Oakland and here come the Patriots and all of a sudden he's Randy Moss again when you don't have to give up a lot of compensation, when you don't have to pay a lot of money and you can still have that elite receiver for at least a couple years. I think that's, that's what you're hoping for in a situation like this 
where a guy like Mike Evans, you can make the pitch like, look, he's going to be 30. Your you your starting quarterback is either Baker Mayfield or top, or Kyle Trask, so you're not going anywhere. Take take the draft capital what you can because you're not going to re-sign these guys. So and and let's move on. I think that's what you're hoping for. So I, I agree with you. I don't want to chase an elite wide receiver. I don't want to be doing what other teams have done to get Tyreek Hill. But I would like to have like those extra draft picks, that cap space, so that if a scenario comes up where you can give a fifth round pick, a fourth round pick, and get a guy like Mike Evans. I want that to be available to the Chiefs. So basically what you're saying is is you're waiting for a guy that's drowning in Oakland, that's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, to come to the Chiefs. There is one out there. Devontae Adams. <laughs> Oddly enough, Devontae Adams is the first name on this list, and and he did not get picked to go to Kansas City. Uh, shocker. Last question for the night, and then we'll get out of here. And that's just, would you want to extend Mike Evans or Chris Godwin? Let's say the deal gets done. Let's say it's it's kind of like your max, what you're willing to give up for that player. Are you, are you getting them for a mercenary deal, or are you wanting to extend? Do you want to go ahead and give a contract to a 29-year-old Mike Evans, to a 27-year-old Chris Godwin, who would be 28 going into the next season? Knowing that, you know, that's... Maybe not what Brett Veach would do. He hasn't traditionally done that with older players. We'll see what happens with Chris Jones this offseason if he gets an extension. Because that would definitely be outside the norm of how Brett Veach has operated to this point in terms of what age players he gives extensions to. How would you guys go about it? Would you go ahead and give these guys extensions or just play it out as a mercenary contract? Jacob, we'll start with you. If you're trading for Godwin... You've got to extend them. I mean, this is all circumstantial, of course, so you don't know what these guys' health will wind up being. Mike Evans kind of scares me, though, because once you turn 30, a lot of these guys become different athletes. And so it's like you'd be getting Mike Evans and building just to, like, probably wind up start giving him short deals that have one year with guaranteed money, the other with we could dump you. Kind of like, Frank Clarkish type deals. So, yeah, I think that's how I'd be working with those guys. Sam, what about you? Would you be looking to extend either one of these players or just play it out as a mercenary contract? So, <clears throat> what's interesting about what Jacob just said is when you look at these two guys' career, one of them has been, I won't say marred with injury, but definitely stained with injury. Like you think of these two and you think of one of them is a very reliable receiver, regardless of who's sitting back behind center. And the other one, you don't know if it's going to play now. He still racks up yards, but he's never, he's played a full season twice. And that was the first two years in his career. Now the injury related one, that's Chris Godwin, the younger of the two, Mike Evans until last year, has played basically every game. I think he's had some 15-game... Like, he's only missed one game in most seasons. That's all he's missed. And again, his career numbers are just ridiculous. So, it, it, it's very interesting because you can't look at Mike Evans and think that he's slowing down. Like, I know that there's that imaginary number that like, oh, at 30 years old, these guys just drop off a cliff. He's the kind of player that I kind of feel like he's not going to drop off a cliff until he's actually done playing football. Like he may start to slowly decline, like start to roll down the hill slowly, but he'll be one of those guys because of the kind of game he has where he is a jump ball specialist. He is the big receiver, the six, five receiver that he will always have a place in an offense where Chris Godwin, because he is a smaller receiver who does rely a little bit more on his speed, athleticism, like injuries take a toll on that. We've seen that with many players like Chris Godwin. So I would be, if we trade for them, I'm expecting us to extend both of them. But like, I'm actually leaning more towards like, I'd want Mike Evans for three to four years. 
more than necessarily like who I'm trusting for three to four years, like maybe Mike Evans just because of who he is, like based off his statistics. And again, the NFL, as we talked about at the beginning, it is a combat sport and guys get injured out of nowhere. It could happen to either of them, but but Mike Evans does have that track history of like, you want to extend the guy, you want to trust him for three to four years at that age. He's the kind of guy that you can probably trust pretty well. But like, again, if I'm trading for either of them, I expect me to be working on an extension for, for, for them. Yeah, I think mainly just because of how much you'd have to pay them. I prefer Evans because I think you might be able to do like, a two-year deal with an option, a three-year deal with an out after two kind of thing. I think that's feasible. So if I'm going to extend them, because I think Godwin, you're looking at like five for a hundred, you know, five for 115. I think that's what you're, given what the receiver market's done, if he plays a full season, because he had like, what, a hundred catches and a thousand yards last year after being hurt. Like Godwin's been ridiculous. So if he's healthy next year and puts up a full season of Chris Godwin, I think you're looking at a ton of money going to him. You're looking into that DK Metcalf range. Versus Mike Evans is the older receiver. He might be able to get away with, you know, a couple of years. So I'm I'm with you on that. I think if I was going to pick one, I'd want to extend Mike Evans just because I think the terms of the extension would be far more in the Chiefs' favor. We'll certainly see what they can do and all of their, according to Over the Cap, $652,557 of cap space they currently have available. So the nice thing is we could always rely on Veach's ability to say, hey, Mike Evans, do you want to be a Hall of Famer? Because Patrick Mahomes can get you there. Now take a veteran minimum deal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, that's going to do it for us tonight. We appreciate you joining us each and every week. We are now into kind of what the dead zone is in the NFL offseason, which can elicit a lot of fun and goofy topics. So make sure you're tuning in each and every week. It should be a fun time leading up to the preseason and then finally again a new NFL season. Until next time, you all stay safe out there. We will talk to you next week.